I'm excited to, to enter into the next few weeks. I was really praying about like what we should talk about uh, for the next three weeks as we get ready to wrap up the summer. And summer's been a lot of fun and, and talking about some cool things. And so I was like, God, what do you want us to discuss as we end the summer and kind of roll into the next school year? And I had like a weird thought, and uh, I don't know if it came from, I guess it came from God. It's really my only choice is to believe that. But I had a weird thought of like, Austin, you don't talk a lot about the women in the Bible. You don't talk a lot about women in the Bible. And uh, all the women are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you don't talk a lot about, like, and I don't, it's not, I promise you, I have nothing against women. I love my wife. Uh, so <laughs> that was close. That was close. I respect all women. <laughs> and so, um, I, it's not that. I just, like, I have, you know, my main, I love Paul, so I like, go to Paul all the time. You guys are probably getting tired of hearing about Paul. Uh, you know, we talked about Joseph and Moses. There's these, like, epic Bible characters that are just always, like, the go-to. But the truth is there's a lot of really, like, epic women in the Bible and really cool stories of what God does through some women in the Bible. And for some reason or another, I don't know if it's just me, uh, maybe I'm the only guilty pastor in the world, I don't know, but uh, I, don't, I don't talk a whole lot about them. And so I wanted to spend the next few weeks discussing some women in the Bible, and partly just because uh, I'd love for you just to know of their stories. Maybe, maybe they're people that you've never heard the story of such and such, and so it's cool for you just to learn about the women in the Bible. But then also there's some really great takeaways from their life and their courageous obedience as, uh, as they respond to God. And so this is not like a, I'm going to talk about the women of the Bible to the women in the group. This is for everybody. Um, but I am gonna, I'm going to pull out some people, some women from the Bible and discuss them in particular. And I hope that encourages everyone. Um, and this is also not like, I'm not trying to start like a feminist movement. Um, I just really think we should talk about them and uh, we should learn from them. So that's kind of where we're going to go for the next week. And we're going to look at their courage and uh, what we can learn from them. And so as I was uh, thinking about what to title this, the verse came to mind in Proverbs chapter 31, uh, verse 10, where it uh, talks about a wife of virtue. Let me think. I uh, wrote it down here. They may have it on the screen. A wife of noble character. In some version, it uses the word virtue. Uh, who can find? Who can find a wife of noble character? She is worth far more than rubies. And if you study that word, uh, noble character, and really break it down, the, the original Hebrew word for virtue is actually is better translated into the word valor. Better translated into the word valor. And valor gets translated into a few things like strength, might, capable, brave, courageous, right? This is a, an awesome word that does not get used a lot. This is actually the word that they use to describe military force, the word valor. And the scripture says in Proverbs that a wife of valor, who can find? Now, I don't believe this is just saying that wives should be like that. I believe it's saying that all women should be women described as women of valor, and so that's the title of the series that we're going to be in for the next few weeks is Women of Valor. And uh, what does that mean? What does that look like? When I think about uh, strong, courageous women, man, I, I have some in my life. I'm sure you have some in your life that stick out to you. But I really think, I think God created men and women differently. 
with a unique design to fulfill a unique purpose. However, I do think we need to start understanding that one of those differences is not that men are strong and women are weak. That is not actually a biblical difference between men and women. Scripture says a woman of valor, strength, courage, bravery. That's the same word used to describe military force. I don't know if you have or you've ever encountered women like that that you would describe like that, but I have, and uh, they leave a mark on you. And so when I think about who are some of the women of valor in the Scriptures, the first one that comes to my mind is I think of uh, Esther. I don't know if you guys have ever read the story of Esther in the Old Testament. Uh, Esther, you can find the book. A whole book is dedicated to her story in the Old Testament. And um, it's about 17 books into the Old Testament. You've got the first five books of the Old Testament are known as what's called the Pentateuch. And so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then the next 12 books are what's known as the historical books of the Old Testament. And Esther is actually the 12th book of that section in the scriptures. And so that's where you'll find the story of Esther. And I'd love for you to take your own time. We're, we're, I'm just going to kind of do an overview of Esther's life uh, tonight. But maybe in your own time, you can go and read the story of Esther. It's uh, 10 chapters long, the book is, but it's a really cool read. It's like an, a, a movie you would watch, all the different things that unfold in the life of Esther. But you can find it in the Old Testament. And really, the story of Esther picks up around 484 BC, so before Christ, uh, 484 BC, in the Persian Empire under King Xerxes. Turn to your neighbor and say King Xerxes, just because it's a fun word to say. Give it a shot. Anybody else use Xerxes in their vocabulary to, uh, today? Nobody? Oh, my goodness. Uh, so now you've said that word today. So uh, that's where the story of Esther takes place under King Xerxes in the Persian Empire. And uh, I, I love, as the story starts, we get right into the story of Esther. We learn a little bit about King Xerxes and what his life is about. It says from the get-go that King Xerxes decided to throw a party for himself. I just think that's really cool. If you throw a party for yourself, you're awesome. Um, I'm going to do that one day, throw a birthday party for myself. I don't know. I think it says something about you if you throw a party for yourself. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it says something about you. And, uh, but to just kind of make it even better, King Xerxes throws a party for himself, and it lasts 180 days. Okay? So this is no joke of a party. This is a 180-day party, and it's all for him to just point out how great he is. So a half a year. Imagine partying from now until New Year's, right? That's a good party. And uh, so that's what King Xerxes sets in motion is a 180-day party. And he invites this specific party, all of the officials and all the people in like royalty and his military officers to come to this party. And then I love this tells us a little bit about Xerxes too. After that 180-day party, he decides to throw a seven-day banquet what the scripture says, seven-day banquet for everyone else, like the peasants of the town. So his, his people got 180 days. The peasants, we get seven days uh, banquet. And so it tells us a little bit about King Xerxes as well, I think. But at the end of that seven days, on the seventh day, it says that King Xerxes decided that he wanted to show off his queen. He wanted to show off queen. Do you guys remember her name? I can't remember how to say it here. Where is it? Somebody yell it out. Vashti. 
I don't know if that's how you say it, but uh, that's how it looks like to me. Queen Vashti. So he decides he wants to show her off, so he calls for Queen Vashti to come to the seven-day banquet and participate. And the queen just, you know what she does? She says, nope, I am not an object that you can show off. I am not a piece for your pleasure. I will not come. I just added that in. I don't know that she said all that stuff. But she did refuse the invitation to come to his seven-day banquet. And, of course, like any man, you know, when his woman doesn't respond to him, uh, he, he got angry that she was not listening to him. And so uh, he gets real ticked off, and then all of his little homies give him some advice, and they say, yo, you need to get rid of this queen and get you a new queen. You need to get you a new queen. And so this is where, right in this moment, uh, when we meet Esther, for the very first time, this is where she enters into the story. And she enters into the story with a guy named Mordecai. Anybody named Mordecai? <laughs> so uh, I don't know why, because he's a good dude. So I feel like we should name our kids that. I'm going to go for kid number two. Name is Mordecai. Call it out. Someone text my wife. Just kidding. Don't, don't do that. Um, so uh, Esther and Mordecai enter the story at this point. Because uh, King Xerxes begins an audition to find a new queen. So he starts having tryouts for a new queen. He brings in all these people. And uh, here we meet Esther. Now Esther is an exiled Jew who is uh, an orphan Jew, actually. So she lost her mom and dad. And so because of that, her cousin Mordecai, so we'll call him Cousin Morty. That's my nickname for him. Cousin Morty. Uh, essentially adopts Esther into his family to take care of her. But they're both Jews, and so Esther enters into the somewhat of like a beauty contest to uh, possibly become queen. And what do you know what happens? When King Xerxes puts his eyes on Esther, he's amazed by her beauty, and he says, she will be my queen. This is unbelievable that an orphaned Jew would now become royalty, a queen, in the Persian Empire. Not a Christian-run place, the best way I can describe it. This is radical, right? This is, uh, for those of you that follow, uh, if, if you watched like the royal wedding a couple weeks, months, what was it, ago? A couple, a couple a ways ago, it was some time ago. If you follow the royal wedding that happened, this is like Prince Harry and... Um, Megan, what's her like title? Duchess. Duchess Megan. This is like biblical version of that story. I read something about how like 10 years or sometime before she became uh, married to Prince Harry that she was actually a, like there was a picture of her in front of Buckingham Palace as a tourist. And it was like you never know what could happen. Like one moment you're a tourist around Buckingham Palace. The next moment you are now in the royal family. Incredible. This is like the exact same happen, the thing that happens to Esther. She goes from rags to royalty. Now she's in the royal family, now becoming queen. Now, that just kind of sets it up. Am I doing an okay job of giving you an overview of this? Okay. And I'm going to talk, I'm just going to give you the story a little bit, and then I'm going to extract a few things that I think we can learn from it. So that's where we're going. But uh, here's where some things get a little crazy and stuff begins to happen. Really some wild things start to happen. Um, a guy by the name, well, first, 
Yeah, first let me talk about this. So Uncle Morty has a, a funny encounter. He's uh, hanging out outside of the palace doors, and he overhears two of King Xerxes' officers uh, planning, plotting to kill the king. And Uncle Morty's just a regular dude, but now he has a cousin in the royal family, and so he hears about these two people planning to kill the king, and so he speaks up. He tells uh, Esther, he tells the queen about it, and then word gets to the king, so they end up stopping these two officers from their plot to kill the king, and so essentially the king's life is spared because of Mordecai. Now, that part of the story ends right there, and we get nothing more about that, like Mordecai was honored or praised. It's just that. And then we move on to this next part of the story where just some random things start happening. You get a guy named uh, Haman who comes into the story. He gets elevated, elected to be uh, King Xerxes' like, right-hand man. So he comes into the story, and uh, they're celebrating him. They're honoring him for his new position. And as part of that, they tell everyone that they must bow down to Haman. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture... Bowing down to someone was an indication of worship. When you bowed down, you worshiped that person. It's one thing to honor or to respect those in authority, those in a political whatever. It's another thing to worship them. And so to a Jew, to bow down to someone, to an elected official or whatever, that was like a big no. So Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman, the new elected official. And because of that, Haman gets angry, and he uh, begins a process of working with the king to set in motion a decree to kill all of the Jews, not just Mordecai, but to kill all of the Jews because they followed a law and they did not respect and honor the officials and all that kind of stuff. Now, as you can imagine, this was huge. The Jews are God's people. They're, They're God's chosen people. And now this decree comes out that they're going to be killed. Mordecai was mortified. (laughs) I've been waiting all night to say that. Mordecai was mortified. And uh, so he's upset. He's angry about this, obviously, because all of his people, God's chosen people, it looks like they're going to be eliminated. And so he goes to Esther, his cousin, and he tells her, and they begin to have a conversation back and forth. And Esther says, hey, as you know, the law states that I can't just approach the king. I have to be summoned by the king. And if you just approach the king with some kind of request, actually the penalty for that was death. So she says, a lot's on the line. I can't just go up to him and say, hey, don't kill the Jews. And plus, she was hiding her identity as a Jew because she could not be queen if it was found out that she was a Jew. And so there's a lot on the line for Esther to address this issue. So she sends that back to Mordecai. And then he says two of the most um, captivating statements, I think, in the Bible, especially in this story. He says two things back to her. He says, one, If you choose to not participate in helping to deliver the Jews, then the deliverance will come from somewhere else. It's going to come. It just won't involve you. And then he says the second thing. He says, but perhaps, perhaps the reason you became queen was for such a time as this. Perhaps the whole reason that these events have orchestrated and that you have become royalty was for such 
a time as this so that you could defend God's people. That's a lot on the line, and Esther has to make the decision. What am I going to do with this? Am I going to fight for the Jews, for my people? Or do I cower to the side and just let things happen? So we continue on with the story. She decides that she's going to say something. And really the rest, I'll let you read the rest. I just want to kind of summarize the big things. But uh, it comes down to um, some weird things happen between Mordecai and uh, Haman. And Haman wants to kill Mordecai. He sets up a, a pole to to put them on. It's really graphic stuff. Um, but all these things happen. And then um, Esther gets the opportunity to say something. So she sets up a like banquet. She sets up a banquet with the king and Haman where she is going to present her request. And then this is the one thing that I wanted to just mention before we close out the story of Esther. Something really uh, coincidental happens in the story, really random, random. The uh, night before, the night before Esther goes to the king and Haman to request that they not kill the Jews, King Xerxes can't go to sleep. He's up all night, can't go to sleep for some reason, had too much coffee or something, I'm not sure. Um, Can't go to sleep, and so what he does is he asks somebody to read to him what they call the Book of Chronicles, which was a book of events that had happened during his reign. So someone starts to read to him all these great things that had happened. You know, this guy's really egotistical. Um, All these great things that had happened during his reign. And one of the things that gets read is the story about how Mordecai was outside the gates and heard that two officers were planning to kill the king, and Mordecai spoke up and prevented it from happening. So the king gets reminded of what happened earlier. And all of a sudden he goes, has this guy been rewarded? Has this guy been like, have we honored this guy for what has happened? Like, have we honored him for the fact that I'm still alive because he spoke up? Like, my life is in his hands. And so Mordecai begins, um, or, or the king begins looking for Mordecai. And he begins elevating Mordecai into a position of royalty and all these things the night before. Esther goes to him. And so what does that set in motion? Obviously, the king has mercy on the Jews. He's already been like prompted to have mercy on Mordecai, and so his heart is turned to the Jews. And so when Esther goes to him, he says, who has issued this decree to kill the Jews? Find him and let's kill him. And so they find Haman, and Mordecai ends up replacing Haman. And now... The Jews are saved. There's a lot of details I'm leaving out. But now, essentially, the entire Jewish people are saved because of Esther and Mordecai and their bravery and their courage to stand up. Now, you probably say, cool story, bro. (laughs) What does that have to do with me? So I want to pick out just a few things. I won't keep you much longer. But I want to pick out just a few things to encourage you with out of the story of Esther. You still with me? First thing I want to encourage you with out of the story of Esther is this. Number one, that your story is a part of a bigger story. I just want to encourage you that your story is a part of a bigger story. It's really interesting to me that in the book of Esther, 
10 chapters, there is not one mention of God. You can read the whole book and there's not one mention of God in the entire book. Now, obviously, we put two and two together and, and the Jews are God's people and all this kinds of stuff. But there's not actually one mention of the name of God or doing anything for God. And most scholars believe, and I would agree, that there's a reason for that. There's a point in that. You see, one of the main themes of the story of Esther is this, is that God is trying to tell his people that he is woven in to every detail, that he is actually in every minute detail of life. I think where we get in trouble a lot of times is we expect God's activity to be like a bright yellow flashing warning sign that this is God. This is what God is doing. Hey, hey everybody, this is what I'm doing. Wouldn't that be cool if God showed up to you and said, hey, I know you got two decisions about what you want to do with your life. This is the one you should choose. I talk to a lot of people about, you know, what, what God wants them to do with their life, career, purpose, all that kind of stuff. And very few people do I hear, yeah, I'm actually really clear on what God wants me to do. There's usually some opposition. There's usually some, I'm not really sure. And I believe that where we get mixed up is we expect God to show up in this like bright, like with a John 3.16 sign that we don't miss, right? Because we're just, we're, we're, we're predisposed to catching it as, oh, that's God. No, actually, God actually tends to show up in the little tiny things, in the coincidences of life. I think we need to wake up to how God is moving in the, like, randomness, coincidences of life. Because God, most of the time, will move in things like, like just a coincidence that a Jew gets picked to be a queen years before the Jews would actually, there would be a decree that went out to kill all the Jews, and so the queen would be in a place where she could fight for the Jews. Is that just a coincidence that that happens? Is it just a coincidence that the night before Esther is to meet with the king to rally for the Jewish people that he couldn't sleep and so he has a book read to him and his heart is turned and, and he gives mercy to a Jew and now he has mercy on the Jewish people the night before? I don't think it's just a coincidence. I think God is woven into every little detail of life. And I believe he's in every little detail of your story, and it fits into his story. And Esther had no idea how he was going to use the little details of her life to accomplish his ultimate purpose that he wanted. You see, your story is a part of a bigger story. Oh, if I could just talk to some of you tonight and get you to understand, life is not just about you, that there's a bigger story going on, but the good news is that God wants to use your story and my story and the person on your right and left their story and, 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 and like build a tapestry of his story. And he uses all of us for that. But your story is part of a bigger story. I wonder how many coincidences have happened in your life, and I forgot to air quote, coincidences have happened in your life where God has actually been allowing something to be a part of your story because it was a part of the purpose for a bigger story. You see, I think, I think if we could come to an understanding that that is in play, 
that we would become a little bit more understanding about the things that are happening in our life to go, you know what, God? I think you're up to something bigger than anything I can see. I think, I think my story is just a part of something that you're doing. I think it's bigger than what I see. It's bigger than just what I'm walking through. It's a bigger story. How incredible is it that God is writing your story and my story, and he's weaving it in to his story? He's weaving it into his glory and his majesty and his kingdom coming down to earth. And we're a part of that. We're a part of that. I just wanted to tell some of you tonight that you're not just here on earth taking up space. You're not just here breathing in oxygen. God is intimately involved in your life. Even when you don't think he is, he's intimately involved in every detail of your story. And he's working it together for his glory and for your good and part of the bigger story. The second thing I want to encourage you with tonight from Esther's story is this. I want to encourage you to refuse to let one chapter define your entire story. Please refuse to let one chapter define your entire story. I'm not saying that you're going to go, you're going to have a rags to riches type of story like Esther or Megan, the Duchess. I'm not saying that's going to be you, but what I am saying is that being an orphan didn't stop God from using Esther in his ultimate plan. And I believe that the same is true for you. I don't know what a chapter is in your life, but I wanted to tell you that being an orphan will not stop God. I don't know what it is. Being from a broken home will not stop God. Being from a dysfunctional family will not stop God. Being a former drug addict won't stop him. Being a, a current sex addict won't stop him. Being a, a failure in something will not stop him. There's nothing, there's no chapter in your story that disqualifies you from being used by God. The only thing that disqualifies you is if you will not allow him to write the rest of your story. You see, you may have a chapter that's bad. You may have a chapter that you regret. But I'm telling you tonight that if you will surrender the rest of your story to him and say, God, I want you to write it. Your story is better than mine. What you can do with my life is better than anything I can do. If you'll surrender it to him, he, he can get past that chapter. He can get past a few bad chapters, actually. I think too many Christians are allowing one chapter or a few chapters to completely derail what God wants to do with their entire life. Don't let one chapter spoil the entire story. So many of us just give up on, on, on a life that God's calling us to because of one bad chapter. One chapter doesn't define your entire story. My, anybody enjoy Netflix? My wife and I just finished, um, we're always looking for new shows, and so we just finished recently the uh, second season of 13 Reasons Why. And um, I don't know if, if you're not familiar with the show or you haven't watched the show or you have never been on the Internet. Um, <laughs> uh, the show essentially is about a high school girl who uh, commits suicide, but before she does that, she gives 13 reasons why she did so. And um, essentially there are you know, 13 people or, or things that happened to her that kind of led her to that. And so I don't want to take this time or space to, like, tell you if I think it's a good show or not, whatever. Uh, but here's what I do know about the show. The show elevates 
elevates the reality that it's possible for people to get to a point in their life when they believe that there is actually no hope. And you don't need a TV show to tell you that. Maybe you've experienced for yourself. Or maybe you have friends that have experienced. It's very possible for people to get to a point in their life where they're just like, you know what? There's no hope for me. There's not a next chapter in my life. And that this chapter, what I've walked through, defines the rest of my story. And I think that is the thing that breaks my heart the most. For you, for, for high school students, middle schools, did you know uh, in 2016 the stat came out that almost 5,800, 5,800 15 to 24-year-olds committed suicide. 5,815 to 24-year-olds committed suicide. And you think about the average lifespan of someone in the United States is 79 years old. So let's say 80 years old is the average lifespan, how old somebody will live to. 15 to 24 is a nine-year gap. Like, what a shame that somebody could walk through something in that tiny gap of life a nine-year window, a nine-year chapter, and more than likely it wasn't nine years where something unfolded. It was probably less than that, that someone can go through one thing, two things, 13 things that would cause them to give up on a possible 80 years of life, maybe more, maybe less. We don't know, but an entire life and one chapter causes them to give up. I just wanted to encourage you tonight, don't let one chapter. If I, could, if I can speak to like high school students, if I ever get the chance, and, and sometimes I do, but if I can say one thing to high school students, I say, listen, you got four years. I know it sucks majorly. I know it's awful. I know you got hormones racing. I know you're trying to go through puberty. I know your parents are terrible and you think they're awful. And I know all these kinds of things happen. I know, but four years, come on. A possible 80-year life. Don't let one chapter, and I know it's, it's way more complicated than what I'm giving it time to, and I know the issues people face, I know they're deep, and I know they're real, and I know it leads people to a place where they go, man, I don't think I have any hope, but can I just encourage you, we sing about it tonight, Jesus Christ, my living hope, the roaring lion, got life in his bones again, and rose up out of the grave so that you would not be chained by whatever it is you're fighting, that you can have victory through it. And I'm not saying life is easy. I'm not saying it's all going to be easy. I'm not saying that you won't face difficulty. But I'm saying it doesn't have to define your entire story. One chapter doesn't. So whatever you got to do to get through one chapter, get the right people around you, get some help if you need it. Whatever you got to do is one chapter. Don't let one chapter define it. Esther, think about the life she had. If she would have said, I'm just a exiled Jewish orphan, nothing can ever come from my life. I don't know that we'd be reading about the story of Esther. So number three, Jared, you can come up as we close. Last thing I just want to encourage you with, I want to encourage you to adopt a for such a time as this perspective. Adopt a for such a time as this perspective. I think every single one of these young people that just stood up here and told you about their mission trip 
at some point had to go, you know what? For such a time as this, if not me, then who? Maybe God's given me this opportunity. I'm going to take it for such a time as this. Oh, Cousin Morty <laughs> told Esther, perhaps you became queen for this reason. Perhaps this is the reason why you became queen for such a time as this. Maybe this is why God has you where he has you. I don't know of any other perspective to live by. I think it's the best perspective to live with. There's a pastor in um, New York City that, that wrote a book called Own the Moment. And um, I haven't gotten a chance to read it, but I know a little bit about the premise of it. And I love it. The premise is this. Most of us think that life is made up of like these grand, huge moments, like that moment when life changes radically for you because you got your career job that you've been dreaming of your whole life or you got that relationship that you've been praying for your whole life. And we look at life as these big moments, but can I tell you tonight, it's not. Life is actually a bunch of little tiny moments that happen that you decide, you know what? I'm going to own every single moment. I'm going to own this moment. I'm going to leverage this moment. I'm going to believe that this moment has come into my life. I've come into this moment for such a time as this, that God has me here for a reason. I'm going to own every single moment as perhaps this is why God has me in this for such a time as this. Maybe God had me just kind of bump into that person in the grocery store so that we could have a conversation that would lead to faith and I could just spark a thought in their mind and eventually down the road, whether it was days, weeks, years later, they said, you know what, maybe I should take that guy's advice and give this God thing a shot and then they come to church and then they get saved. But it was you who just said, you know what, I'm not just gonna pass up on this moment that God's led me into. I'm gonna own every single moment. I'm gonna believe that nothing is just coincidence. Perhaps God had me in that grocery store for such a time as this. Perhaps God has you in C12 tonight so that you can offer a word of encouragement to somebody for such a time as this. You're the person that God's gonna use. It's you, it's not coming from anybody else, it's coming from you. For such a time as this, own every moment. Perhaps God has you walking through that family difficulty it's not random. It's not just coincidence. For such a time as this, you're the one that's going to walk through it. And God has you in it for a reason. For such a time as this, this is my time. I'm going to own every moment that I step into. My moment. This is it. What other perspective are you going to live by? That I'm just going to wait for the big things in life? If you do, I promise you, you'll miss out. The number of times that I've missed an opportunity, I've missed a moment that I think God's probably like prompted me into or led me into, the number of times is countless. I've probably missed a ton of them. But you know what? I can tell you about every time where I said, maybe this is a moment. Maybe, maybe God had me go through this for, for such a time as this. Let me just stretch you a little bit further. Perhaps God has you walking through the difficulty you're walking through 
because you're the one he wants to walk through it because it's going to set him up for the ultimate big story, the ultimate big plan for his glory, for his fame, for his renown. And he needed you to walk through it so it could happen one day. For such a time as this, me, I'm going to own every single moment. This job I'm working for is not ideal. It's not what I want. I don't want to work at Starbucks the rest of my life. But perhaps for such a time as this, God has me working in Starbucks because he knew that there being another employee hired who's not a believer and that they would need a Christian to walk beside of them because one day they would go through some tragedy and they would need a Christian to offer a perspective on it that they had never heard before. And so God put you in that position for a reason. He put you in that moment for a reason, for such a time as this. And here's what I want to get at. What if we all miss our little moments because we're just waiting on the big thing? I want you to know, just like Esther, God is woven into every little thing every single part of your story and he's making it a part of his story but there's the chance that if you don't open your eyes and if you don't have the courage to actually step into it that you could miss you could miss out like Uncle Morty told her hey if you don't want to be a part of it that's fine God's deliverance the deliverance of the Jews will come from someone else but it's your opportunity it's for you either you take it or you miss it. I don't know about you, but to the best of my ability, I want to limit the number of times that I look back and go, I missed that opportunity. I missed that moment. I missed that coincidence. I missed it. The least amount of those I can have, I think the better. And the more that I'll learn to appreciate how God's in every little piece every little strand of my story he's involved in it and so I want to pray for you tonight so you can bow your heads and close your eyes and I just want to ask you is there a chance you're living blind is there a chance you're just going through the mundane going through the motions going through the everyday stuff of life and because of that you've missed the for such a time as this moment that you've missed the opportunity you've missed the prompt from God to step into something can't do anything about the past can't do anything to change the past chapters but you can do something to say Lord I want my next chapters to be different and I want them to be completely surrendered to you and I want you to write my story and so maybe just in the quietness of your own seat, you just want to offer your own prayer to God and say, God, if you give me, if you give me an opportunity to, to own the moments, to own every little moment, if, if you'll give it to me, Lord, I'm going to do my best to, to do it. Maybe you just want to ask God to open your eyes to see the moments so you're not distracted by just the everyday stuff, but that you would be more aware 
more keen to the Holy Spirit's prompts and where he wants to lead you. Maybe tonight, for some of you, you just need to go, you know what, Lord, I, I need you to write the rest of my story. I've tried to write it on my own. And because of that, I've got a few chapters that I'm not proud of and that I wish weren't there, but I can't do anything about it. So I'm just going to surrender the next chapters to you and ask that you write them. He's a much better writer than you are. So, Father, thank you for your kindness and your goodness. Lord, I thank you for that truth. That one chapter doesn't have to define our whole story. I thank you that you're in the business of redeeming bad chapters. I think you're in the business. I thank you that you're in the business of just continuing to give little opportunities for us to own every moment. I thank you that you want to give us a perspective where we live a life going, God, I want to own every moment, everything, everything. I want to take advantage of it. So, Lord, I pray specifically for those in this room, God, that you would give us moments in the next few days that we can step into and go, you know what, maybe for such a time as this, maybe I got a conversation with someone for such a time as this, this is the moment. Maybe I've got a perspective I can own a little bit differently. Lord, give us, give us those we ask for. Give us grace when we miss it, but give us the courage to step into them when they're difficult. Lord, we want to build our life on you. You're a firm foundation. We want you to write our story. So we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.